I got thoroughly confused last night when I looked at the headlines and it said, Jesus scores twice. I think he's a player for Manchester City, is that right? That was thoroughly confusing, but there you go. Well, yes, it's, uh, having the son of man as a substitute is no bad thing, I think. Anyway, those of you who know me well know that um, I have some issues with the traditional celebration of Christmas because of the mixture of truth and myth and all that kind of thing. But I have discovered one glaring anomaly, which I must put straight for the record. And if you remember nothing else, please remember this. Now, traditionally, Christmas is associated with reindeers. Now, in the species of deer... Most, in most cases, only the males grow antlers. However, this is not true of reindeer, where both the male and the female grow antlers. So you can see here a mixed gathering of male and female antlers. Now, according to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, no less, while both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year, the male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter, usually late November to mid-December. Whereas female reindeer retain their antlers until after they've given birth in the spring. This is true. Therefore, listen carefully, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of these reindeer, from Rudolph to Blitzen, had to be a girl. Yes? We should have known, really, shouldn't we? We should have known because only women would have been able to drag a fat-ass bloke in a red velvet suit all the way around the world and not get lost. (laughs) So now you know. Oh, groaning. Now then, let's just blank that for a moment. In our first Advent message, message, David spoke about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were righteous people but they could not have children, something that in that time was a reproach for a woman, assuming that the infertility lay exclusively with her and not with him. Gabriel, we're told, it's a bit like the head of the civil service in heaven, no less. Gabriel came and spoke with Zechariah when he was performing his duties as a priest and told him, interestingly, his prayer had been answered. We're not told what his prayer was. Presumably that he would have offspring, I don't know. His wife, though old, would bear a son, and he was to be called John. Zechariah, however, was sceptical. He didn't believe it. And so he remained mute from that point until his son, John, was born. David explained all of that to us. Then in the second message last week, when Amanda was talking to us, we hear about this young girl called Mary. She was met by the head of the civil service again. Gabriel came down to tell her she'd been chosen to bear the Son of God. The profundity of that announcement hasn't diminished for all of these years. Just imagine it. As Amanda said last week, she, I think she picked out Abby and said, just imagine if one day you were met by this 12-foot towering angel and said, you are going to bear a child. That would be astonishing enough. And, you know, and he will be the son of God. But unlike Zechariah, Mary accepted that she would become pregnant supernaturally and simply said, may it be to me as you have said. Amanda made that point very clearly last week and I'm going to come back to that before I close today. So now we come to the encounter... Oops. 
I'm sorry, that was supposed to be the denouement to the bit about the angels. I didn't get much sleep last night, so for other reasons. I had a much better animation, but I didn't use it in the end because it was too long. We come to the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth, and that's a traditional depiction of that. Why, quite, why we stylize these things in this way, I don't know. It was probably more like this. A lady who was advanced in years, well beyond childbearing age, but pregnant nonetheless, and a teenager who'd met with her. We're told they were naturally related, but they were both the beneficiaries of a supernatural influence in their bodies. Elizabeth was not the first woman to bear a child in old age. That was true with Abraham and Sarah, wasn't it? Broadly similar story. But Mary was the first and the only woman ever to bear a male child without natural conception. We were told in the encounter between Gabriel and Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Astonishing. Astonishing. That's another unprecedented element in this story. Unsurprisingly, therefore, when Mary and Elizabeth greet each other, we're told the baby leapt in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a thing. What a thing. I'm a scientist. I understand the process of conception and gestation and then birth, but it's a miracle nonetheless. And that, the offspring, the result of this process, can bear the characteristics of their parents, is, is a miracle beyond a miracle. And that hasn't diminished either over the centuries. The baby leapt within her womb. Anna was a very vigorous baby when she was in the womb, and I used to have lots of conversations with her before she was born. I'd push down on that foot here, and I'd push down on that arm there. And certain pieces of music that I played on the piano while she was still in the womb, comforted her after she was born because she obviously remembered and interacted with them. So here was John in the womb at six months, nonetheless responding spiritually. What an incredible thing. It resulted in a declaration, and this is what we read in Luke. Um, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, as I said, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she acclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed in what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, Mary's response to that has been incorporated into the liturgy as the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is Latin for, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it makes a remarkable reading, so I'd like to read it to you. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and he's lifted up the humble. 
He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Astonishing. Astonishing. There's some debate as to whether Mary was quite the author of those words, but for now, we'll take it at the expression of our heart. And it forms one of four hymns that you'll find in this part of the Bible, which come from early Jewish Christian canticles. The words of Mary bear a close resemblance to the song of Hannah, Samuel's mother, in the Old Testament. You can have a look at that in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, if you wish. This piece is broken into four parts. She rejoices in the privilege of giving birth to the Messiah. She glorifies God for his glory, his power, and his holiness and mercy. She looks forward to the transforming of the world, and she exalts God for his faithfulness in his promise to Abraham. Now, in preparing for this message, which I must admit tied me in knots a little bit, Interesting. One of, one of the ways Mary is known is the untire of knots. Did you know that? I can't tell you the Latin because I've forgotten. Strange accolade, don't you think? Um, anyway, I found things that initially bemused me and then caused me concern. As an institution, taken as a whole, the church has placed some very peculiar interpretations on the significance of Mary. Now, she says here, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We've got to reckon with that. We can't just dismiss that verse because we feel uncomfortable about idolatry towards Mary or something like that. We've got to consider that verse. And I'm not going to go into any detail. I'm not qualified to do that. But I want to mention just a few things. Jesus, uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus. That's no small thing. And she warrants our acknowledgement. But not perhaps, I think, in the way that the Roman Catholic Church does or to a lesser extent, the Orthodox Church and some Anglo-Catholic traditions. Mary, interestingly, I don't know if you know this, is the only woman specifically mentioned in the Quran. And there's one entire chapter devoted to her. And Muslims recognize that Mary gave birth to Jesus, whom they call Isa, while she was still a virgin. They don't acknowledge Jesus for who he claimed to be, but they do acknowledge his birth. It's long been held that uh, Mary herself was the result of a virgin birth. That's known as the Immaculate Conception. Jesus was the virgin birth. The Immaculate Conception is what Catholic teaching attributes to Mary. The reasoning goes that for her not to taint Jesus with her human sinfulness, she needed to be conceived supernaturally. But there's no biblical support for that. And Romans 3 makes it clear that all have sinned and fallen short. And she was not excluded from that. And there's another problem. If, Jesus, if, if Mary was conceived in that way, what would that mean for us, that Jesus was not then conceived of a natural woman? All the empathy that we find in Jesus, all the things that we've been celebrating in this Christingle about what Jesus means, would be diminished. For Jesus to empathise with us, for Jesus to die on our behalf, and to rise again, and become the intercessor between us and God. He has to be born to a natural woman. This is wrong. I don't mean to offend any Roman Catholics present or those of Roman Catholic origin, but that has to be wrong. It's also been held that whilst Mary was a virgin prior to her conception, she remained so for the remainder of her days, the so-called perpetual virginity. 
I struggle to see the necessity for that doctrine, with all, but with all the convoluted interpretations of the references to Jesus' brothers and sisters, you'll have to look into that for yourself. There is no Hebrew or Aramaic word for cousin. There is in Greek. So they could have distinguished in the New Testament between a brother and a cousin. I'm all the more mystified that some individuals like Luther and Wesley subsequently supported that view. Mary was a virgin before she conceived, exactly as Micah prophesied a very long time before, and it had to be that way. But subsequent to that, she was married to Joseph, and we were told in the reading before their relationship developed after that point. Another view is that Mary is the second Eve, like Jesus is the second Adam, but that's without biblical foundation. Finally, this point I want to make clearly. There are those who hold that one may pray to Mary who acts as an intercessory element in our communication with God. That is completely without biblical foundation. 1 Timothy 2, chapter 5 makes clear there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus. Absolutely, utterly, unequivocally. That is the purpose. We may pray to Jesus knowing that not one syllable of what you say gets lost in the process or is is mistranslated. He is a faithful intermediary. He is a faithful intercessor. And continually he does that. That is the truth. So, what shall we do then with this verse? From all generations henceforth will call me blessed. How are we going to deal with that verse? Because you see, whereas maybe some other traditions have developed these teachings, which we've seen are very questionable. It's arguable that in the Reformed evangelical side of things, we've neglected that. Now, I'm not a qualified theologian. I wouldn't purport to that. If you want those kind of analyses, then you need to talk to Richard. I'm an engineer. Anybody seen the film The Mummy? when they're round the fireplace and the character played by Rachel Weitz, when they're all bragging, these men are bragging about all their abilities, she wobbles uncertainly to her feet, having drunk too much, and says, but I am a librarian. Well, I am an engineer. And I recognize the value of simple interpretation of the evidence before me. If I'm engaged in a technical investigation, like, for example, why whole trains' vehicles keep catching fire, which I have been. It is fatal to assume an interpretation of events and then search for evidence to support that assumption. That's what the church has done institutionally in the past and we've got to be careful that we don't perpetuate those errors. We can look at the evidence and we can make a judgment. So here is the unequivocal truth and I'll leave it to you and the Holy Spirit to bring it to bear. That's what's called a strategic pause for water. The absolute qualification for being used by God and knowing the joy and satisfaction of being in his will is that of a willing heart. A willing heart. Where Zechariah failed in that he was unwilling to believe that God could do what he declared through Gabriel, in his situation with Elizabeth... God nonetheless prevailed 
but it was in spite of Zechariah's unbelief. In Mary's case, as we heard from Amanda last week, she was completely willing. Completely willing. No reservation in her heart at all, despite the implications of what she'd been told, which were momentous. Mary, therefore, sets the example to follow. Complete submission of all we are and might aspire to be in the fulfilment of God's will. A further characteristic in all of this is the influence of the Holy Spirit. Those who would make an icon out of Mary and put to her intercessory capabilities which she never drew to herself, they end up distancing themselves from the truth. Those who are willing and allow themselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no limit, no limit to what God can achieve. If you're uncertain of that, Just consider Mary. Just consider Mary. So, the challenge to myself, first and foremost, and to all of you, is to consider this Christmas time, this Advent period, the extent of your willingness, your belief in the power of God to do through you what you cannot imagine for yourself. To that end, do you know or have you ever known what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit as John was described in the womb, as Mary was described when her baby leapt in her? If not, please, speak with someone you trust. Seek ministry And find your release, just as Elizabeth and Mary did all those years ago. The famous preacher, D.L. Moody, was once confronted by an enormous black woman who gave him a suffocating hug and said, Pastor, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And gasping for breath as she released her grip, he said, very wisely, I think, yes, my dear, but I leak. So even if your answer to my question about have you known what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit was yes, you need to be continually refilled. It's just the nature of who we are as humans. We're like colanders. God freely fills us, but it leaks out of us because of our failings. So, from now on all generations shall call me blessed, Mary said. I've tried in this simple way to share with you what I believe that means for us. And here's a picture of Mary and Elizabeth. And my prayer for you and for myself is that our response, just like Mary, would be, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. See, Ron, you're not the only one who gets emotional when you're preaching. Let's pray.
it's momentous, Lord, that you would come to earth in this way. But we do believe that you were born of Mary. And you lived amongst us, empathizing with everything we confront. And in your death and in your resurrection, you did all that was required that we might be forgiven and that we might enter into a relationship with God through you. Make that rich in our hearts this Christmas. Amen.